0: Today's reading comes from 1 John chapter 1, 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and take a seat. We are continuing on in our series through the letters of John. Uh, We're only in our second week. Uh, Let me pray for us uh, as we get started. Our Father, your word is true. And as our Lord Jesus prayed, we pray now that you would sanctify us in the truth. Please bless the preaching of your word that we might be changed and formed by it to obey our Lord Jesus and to walk as he taught us. And We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. When I was a young boy in a mid-elementary school age, my father had me memorize his favorite poem, which is a bit strange because if you've ever met my father, you would not think poet. Um, you would think perhaps kind, athlete, uh, but you wouldn't think poet. Uh, he's a bit of a, an enigma because he's also a cowboy, um, which, I mean, how many Jewish cowboys do you know? It's kind of strange. Um, but I actually think what he appreciates kind of about that cowboy uh, life, the cowboy way, is the poetry, the um, expression of beauty surrounding life on a prairie. Some simpler time, campfires, the the movements of a horse or nature. And so within him seems to be this kind of thirst for a poetic existence, which makes sense, now that I think back on it, why he had me memorize this poem. The poem you may be familiar with. It's called If by Rudyard Kipling. And the poem is a series of if statements. If you can keep your head when everyone around you is losing theirs. If you can lose everything and never say a word about it. If you can walk with kings and not lose the common touch. If you can work hard even with broken tools, that kind of thing. And it reads as statements from a father to a son. And the last line of the poem actually is, uh, which is more, you will be a man, my son. So it's a poem about growing up into maturity, growing to be a mature man. And John is going to do something similar in our passage today. He's going to teach us how to think, how to grow up, how to be consistent and mature as Christians. He's going to give us several if statements but they're harder for us than Kipling's poem. They're not neat. They don't rhyme. They're not proverbial. They're challenging. They require us to reflect and to be honest. They require obedience from us, which is not a word we like very much, especially in Christian circles. But Whitley and I, my wife and I, uh, and I imagine you all too, We are trying very hard to teach our children obedience. Not because it will simply make our lives easier, though it would. And if you're a parent, you know that too. But we want them to learn obedience because we believe it will set them on a path to flourish. Following God is flourishing. Obeying God is flourishing. And that's what John wants for us. That's what we want for our kids. That's what I want for everybody, right? That's what John said in the intro, that we saw last week, that he wanted us to have fellowship with him. He wanted to have fellowship with his readers, and for his readers to come into fellowship with him and the other apostles, because their fellowship is with God. And if we have fellowship with the apostles, that means we have also fellowship with God. If we've learned to walk like them, we've internalized, accepted, believed their message, suddenly we're also walking with the Lord. But right from the get-go, that sounds... Perhaps frustrating to us. Maybe just strange to us. Because it means that we have to look up to our fathers. We have to obey. We have to be under the authority of those senior to us. And we don't like that. Not as independent Americans. Not as those obsessed with individualism. We have bought into this Rousseauian idea that we are supposed to be some kind of noble savage, those who can kick against what came before, those who can think for themselves. We reject the past. Why does our culture want to smash the patriarchy? Because it rejects that our fathers may have had something right, something to teach us, something that we need to carry on. And though we may not believe uh, that idea as wholeheartedly, perhaps, as the culture, we have internalized a lot of it. We've internalized that uh, free-thinking idea, the, the rejection of the past, the individualism, which is why we instinctively ask the question, why do we have to have fellowship with the apostles in order to have fellowship with God? Why can't it just be me and God? Why does my fellowship have to go through the apostles? Think of it like a house. Ephesians says that God's house is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So, to be in God's house, you have to be on the foundation. It's that simple. If you aren't on the foundation that the apostles set, then you're not in the house. This is why we can look at groups that have kind of adapted the Christian message and turned it into something else. We can look at that and we can say, that's not Christian. Because it's, it's not on the foundation. It's not in the house. It's not following in line with what the apostles established. So we can look at Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses and say they've tried to add wings onto the house, but there's no foundation there. They're not in the house. You can look at so-called liberal Christianity and say that's not part of the house. If it's not on what the, uh, the foundation that the apostles set, it's not part of the house. It's, it's that simple, right? If, if we don't accept the message that the apostles delivered to us, we're not in the house. Why? Because God delivered the message to the apostles. So if we accept their message, we're on the foundation, we're in the house, right? If we reject their message, we are actually rejecting God's message, we are rejecting the foundation. We don't want to be in the house. So as we look at our text, starting in verse 5, John is going to lay out what the message is. He says, we've heard this message. We've proclaimed this message. Well, what is the message? And he says, beginning in verse 5, here's the message. Right? This is the message. But he starts out in a bit of a strange way. We might expect him to do what Paul did in 1 Corinthians 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Isn't that the message? Isn't that what we preach? Yes, it is. That is the message. It is the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the good news about Jesus but John's not actually talking about that. He's not speaking of the message about Jesus. He is talking about the message that he heard from Jesus. What does he say? The message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. What is the message? The message is God is light. That is the most broken down, succinct, and yet potent statement that he can make about God. God is light. And it's a particularly significant statement because at the time of John's writing, a heresy was circulating, a heresy called Gnosticism. Uh, You perhaps have heard of the Gnostic Gospels. That word Gnostic comes from the Greek word Gnosis, which means knowledge. And Gnosticism was a belief that salvation came through a special knowledge. It did not come from repentance and faith. It came from actually rejecting the body, rejecting the the physical. The physical world is where sin dwells. We need to reject that, and we need to embrace the mind. That's what they taught. And in the mind was where the light of divinity could be found. So divinity, in other words, could be found in the self if you reject the flesh and ascend to kind of this higher mental plane. Does that not sound very familiar? Are we not often told to look within you? That's where salvation can be found. How many songs and movies encourage people to look for the good within themselves? How many times are we encouraged to follow our hearts? To find the truth within you, to believe in yourself. But if the scripture says that our hearts are evil, and it does, why in the world would we follow them? The Christian message is not believe in yourself, it is believe in God and what He has said. The Christian message is not follow your heart, it's you need a new heart. It is not there is divine light within you. It is God is light. So John is writing to these people where there's a lot of Gnostic thoughts spreading around. And rather than just tell them the simple facts that Christ died and rose, which he gets to, uh, he'll speak in verse 7 of the blood of Jesus. But before he gets there, he starts with, again, the message that God is light. I don't know about you, but that sounds very unusual to me. Why does he go there? God is light. It sounds amorphic, right? It sounds like some modern-day spiritual writer trying to make grand claims about the universe without actually saying anything. Oh, God is light. He's not dark. God is love. He's not hate, right? Those are true statements. What do they mean? Give me some form or some substance to work with. And that's where John is not like some modern-day spiritual writer. He, he makes the grand philosophical claim, a claim that can shape the entire world, and he is not afraid to back it up. He'll make the claim, and then he'll tell you what it means. The claim is God is light, therefore, no darkness exists in him at all. So God is separate from darkness. Okay, that should remind you of Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, God speaks light and he separates the light from the darkness. They don't have fellowship. So, John is saying, essentially, darkness and light are not the same. They are entirely different. If you're walking in one you are not in the other. If you are in the darkness, you are obviously not in the light. Remember, it's like the house. Either you're on the foundation or you're not. You're in the light or you're not. So why does John call God light? This is one of only a few times in the Bible that a statement of qualitative equivalence is made about God. Right? God is such and such. There are many times we get descriptors of God. Right? God is good. God is uh, my fortress, right? He's a shield. This is one of three times that John is going to give this kind of statement, that God is something, okay? We're told in the Gospel of John that God is spirit. Here, John says God is light, and later in the letter we'll see that God is love. Now, Everyone likes the idea that God is love. Very pleasant. But typically we like it because we use it to justify our folly, our sin. Believers and non-believers do this. If we love some idol, right? some, some form of wickedness, and we say, "Well, God is love, therefore God is in my love for the wicked thing." It's not true. And what we need to see is that before John mentions that God is love, he first says that he's light and there's no darkness. See, we want to skip the light because it reveals our evil. But John is saying that the message is God is and he is light. Light reveals things. It reveals the truth. In the dark, you can lie. You can hide. The light shows how things really are. That's why the Bible will say things like, your word is a lamp, a light unto my feet. It's a light that shows the way we should go. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. Now, all of us probably went through a time in our lives when we were afraid of the dark. If I asked you to raise your hand, I imagine pretty much everybody would. Why Why did we experience that? Because we don't know what's hiding in the dark. You obviously can't see. Even now, if you go to perhaps a, a movie, maybe you just go to work, you go during the daytime, and you leave your office or you leave the theater, and it's night, what do you do? Well, you walk a little bit quicker, you, you, you pay more attention to your surroundings. This is instinctive to us from childhood. Why do kids leap into their beds? Because they don't know what's underneath them. It's dark down there. We have built into us a witness in our conscience and in our instincts that reminds us of the goodness of light. And yet, John comes now with a warning. Okay, God is light, and I'm going to tell you what this means. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not practice the truth. If we say... Oh, yeah, yeah, I know about the light. I go to church, right? I'm a Christian, of course. But if your business dealings are in back alleys, or if your preferred forms of entertainment have to be hidden, if you walk in fear of what people might find out about you, or if your conversations require you to whisper so that others can't hear, John says, that sounds like a lie. Don't say, I have fellowship with God, I walk in the light, and then conduct yourself in darkness. That makes you a liar. But, he says, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. You cannot have fellowship in darkness. In darkness, it's every man for himself. But in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin and binds us together. In darkness, you don't know how dirty... You are, because you can't see it. Everything has to be exposed first. So in darkness, sin is hidden. In the light, sin is revealed and cleansed. Verse eight. But if we say, we have no sin, okay that is a reference to human nature. The Again, Gnostics taught that sin related to the body. So if you had this special knowledge, you could uh, ascend above the body, above the carnal. Either your, your sin perhaps might be eradicated or you might have just transcended above that sin nature. It's not a part of you anymore. And to that, John says, no, no, you're still a liar, but now you're just lying to yourself. You've deceived yourself. The prophet Isaiah pronounces woes on those people who are so blind that they call evil good. That they mistake darkness for light and bitter for sweet. These people have lied to themselves. They reject sin, claiming enlightenment. They're in the dark and they're claiming to be in the light. But John says, if that's the case, the truth is not in you. If you claim to be in the light because you don't have any darkness, so you say, you're claiming to be sinless, then you can't even see God's light. You couldn't see it as beneficial to you. Instead, God's light becomes to you darkness because you're convinced of your righteousness. And in that case, God then becomes the naysayer to you. He's the negative Nancy. He's the one trying to rain on your parade. So I'm doing great. I'm in the light. I don't have any sin. God is clearly the problem. There's a story um, about Charles Spurgeon, a great English preacher, um, where he was one day confronted by a man after a sermon, and the man came up to him and said that he was sinless. He had achieved righteousness. And so Spurgeon, intrigued and perhaps amused, invited the man over to his house for dinner. And as the man was carrying on about his sinless state, Spurgeon reached forward, grabbed his water cup, and he threw it right in the man's face. And the man got up shocked, and had some less than Christian words for Spurgeon. And Spurgeon replied, Aha, you see, the old man within you is not dead. He had simply fainted and could be revived with a glass of water. Clearly, the man claiming to be sinless had deceived himself. He thought he was righteous, and he was quickly shown the error in his thinking with just a little water. John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So in the first instance, you're practicing hypocrisy, right? In that case, you're you're lying outwardly. You're saying, oh, I know the truth. I have fellowship with God. You don't do it. You're lying outwardly. You're a hypocrite. You're you're a liar in that way. In the second case, uh, you're lying to yourself and you don't know the truth. The first person knows the truth and doesn't do it. The second person believes the lie and therefore doesn't know the truth. But, verse 9, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you hide your sin, you're a liar. If you don't think you have sin, you're a liar. You're just lying to yourself. But if you confess your sin, if you expose it to the light, you can be forgiven and cleansed. We think hiding our sin is the safe way to go. We're safe in the dark. Nobody can see this. It's not safe. Verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, which sounds just like verse 8, but instead of saying I have no sin presently, you're saying uh, I have not sinned. It's a perfect tense verb. So in other words, sin is not, has not ever been my problem. Sin really isn't a problem. That reveals something even more dark, more sinister and scary. In that case, you have not just denied the truth. You have not just deceived yourself. You have actually defamed God. You have accused him of being a liar. In the Gospels, when Jesus performed an exorcism of a demon, someone watching said, it is by the prince of demons that he casts out demons. And Jesus replied, if Satan casts out Satan, if, if, Jesus is, if Satan is casting out demons, then his kingdom is already divided against itself. All we need to do is sit back and let it fall. Right? He's undoing his own work. And then he speaks this well-known, well-known phrase. He talks about every blasphemy will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against or blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be Forgiven. So if you're so blind as to think that the work of the Holy Spirit is demonic, you're not just saying light is dark, you're saying God is Satan. And you can be pretty sure, if that's what you think, that you'll have a chance to meet Satan. You do not call good, evil, light, dark, or God the devil. The devil is a liar. He's the father of lies. And if you're saying God is a liar, you're making him out to be the devil. And if that's the case, his word is not in us. If we think we can reach righteousness, sinlessness on our own, God is telling us, you are welcome to try. You've made me not just a liar, but the liar. Have it your way. There are two kinds of people in the world. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, thy will be done. It's a scary thought. So what does this all mean? What should we as Christians do with this? How should we think about the world? How should we think about ourselves? I'm going to look at five brief points, five, I think, important things in this text that I want you to notice. Number one, it's the message. The message is God is light. And there's something curious about that because light has to do with your sense of sight. right? You can see Light. And yet John is saying that this is the message we heard, their ears. The message we proclaim so that other people can hear it. The message is that God is light, it's something visible. And yet, his emphasis, on, his emphasis here is on what we hear. John mentioned seeing and touching Jesus in the beginning of, uh, of the chapter in verses 1 and 3. But the emphasis is on hearing that which was from the beginning, which we have heard and seen and touched. So we have not seen Jesus today. But if you know him, it's because you've heard him. You've heard his call. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. You've probably heard the idea of preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. False. Reject that idea. The gospel is a message to hear. Yes, the effects of the gospel should be visible in you, in your life. That is what John is saying. But, uh, But if you claim to have heard the message and your life isn't showing it, you didn't hear it. The gospel is a message to hear. It starts with the reality that God is light, that he is holy, and darkness is not a part of him. God is calling people into the light, but they first have to acknowledge the darkness. If you want to come into the light, what should you do? You should recognize first that you are in darkness. But how can someone in darkness know that they're in darkness if they can't see? They have to be told. Somebody has to tell them. Come to the light. Follow the voice. Listen to the good shepherd. But what happens when somebody comes into the light? Doesn't the light uh, kill, eradicate the darkness? So how can someone who is darkness come into light? Would it not kill them? Well, yes, it would. The only way to come into the light is through death. And our text says that the blood of Jesus... Cleanses us from all sin. Jesus, the God man, the light of the world, was put out so that you could leave the darkness, so that you could live in the light. Jesus died, which was the light invading the darkness of death, so that he could provide a way out of the darkness. He entered the graveyard, the cemetery, the tomb, as it were, to bring light to lead the corpses back out. When you come into the light, you come by faith in Jesus. You come following Jesus, who is the light, and he cleanses you. Jesus went into the darkness to bring you out into the light. So are you following him? Is he your light? Is his word a lamp? To your feet. The gospel is a message to hear, and when you hear it, you are made able to see the light. That means we must not be afraid to preach. Uh, Paul says in Romans 10 How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? We must preach the good news that God is light and that the light has come. Second thing I want you to notice are the claims. All these claims of if we say, if we say we walk in the light when we live in darkness, if we say we have no sin, if we say we have not sinned, in all of them there is a lie. Lying outwardly by your actions, lying inwardly to yourself, and lying about God. People will make all kinds of claims to make themselves feel better, to justify their actions. We'll say things like, they had it coming. They started it. Oh, you know, one more drink isn't really that big a deal. I only overspent a little bit. All of these little lies, these little justifying claims, are just invitations back into the darkness. They are invitations to you to say, the light is bad. See, it's exposing things you don't like. The the light is the thing trying to repress you, so break away from that. Come back into the darkness where you can do whatever you want. These claims are invitations to be uh, what I call Gollum-ized. You remember Gollum from The Lord of the Rings? When he saw the ring for the first time, it was an invitation to him to reject his life and to reject his friend that he was with so that he could have it. He wanted it more than anything. And it became to him, if you recall, his little precious. The ring had its corrupting effect on him. He went from being a person to being a hideous, evil creature. And if you remember in The Hobbit, when we are first introduced to Gollum, where is Gollum? He's in the dark. He's in a cave. And what is he wanting to do in that first scene? He's wanting to eat Bilbo. He was once just like him, and now he wants to eat him. He had been thoroughly corrupted, and that's what sin does. That's what we're seeing in culture. How, we wonder, can people be so blind as to think boys can be girls? How can people be so blind as to think that... Uh, uh, They can't just become the opposite sex. They can actually now become animals. Did you know that that's a thing? It's a real thing. There are kids in school sitting under their desks, purring and licking themselves because they identify as cats. How can we be so blind as to what even a child is that we can justify dismembering it only because we can't see it? How can we be so blind as to think drag shows are appropriate for children? But it's there. And there are many other examples that reveal that we have lost our ability to see and to think. What has happened? Well, we've rejected God. We've rejected the light, and so we live in darkness. And that is the judgment you get when you reject God. John uh, says in his gospel in John 3 19, he said, This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. We don't want to be exposed. We love darkness. And this is true in subtle ways in the church as well. For a long time, we have reveled in our prosperity, and so we have kicked against obedience. We have been comfortable with all the benefits of our Christian past, our Christian heritage, our Christian faith, but in the process, our faith has gotten soft. We largely don't stand for truth anymore. Christians are being formed by Fox News instead of the Word of God. I was reading a Twitter thread the other day, and it was very poignant. And it basically said, how come the, what seem to be the extremists, how come they seem to be winning? How come a small group of people who want liberation from truth, liberation from the past, liberation from God, how come they seem to be winning? And the writer said, it's because they believe more in their religion than you do. Ouch. But he's right. If we want to see the light of God change our homes, change our churches, change our neighborhoods, change our country and our world, it starts with coming into the light, exposing the things that you don't want to tell your spouse about, that you don't want to talk to your discipleship group about, sharing what it is that's tempting you so that they can help you fight against it. Are you comfortable claiming fellowship with Jesus but not actually walking like him? Just feel good because we're in the church. Number three, the charge. What's the charge of the text? The charge is walk in light. Confess your sins. What does God want for you? He wants you out of darkness. He wants you out of the bondage of sin. He wants you to be in fellowship with him and with countless brothers and sisters. Follow him. Read your Bible. It will show you how you're supposed to follow him. But you must not read it simply as words on a page. That's not what the Bible is to you. The Bible is God's message for you. How thoroughly, I wonder, do you read your text messages? It doesn't matter where we are. When our phone dings, typically we look. We can be cooking, we can be at work, we can be in the bathroom, doesn't matter. If our phone dings, we're gonna look at it and we're going to wonder what does this mean? How come they put three exclamation points? How come that word is all capitals? We're gonna read deep into that message so that we can understand the tone of the sender. Why are we so ready to worry about the tone of the sender but we're not asking the question about the tone of the prophets? This is God's message to you. The Bible is God's message for you. Do you read it like one? When it says, serve the Lord with gladness, do you examine your heart to wonder, why am I not glad? What's going on in here? Why am I struggling to be glad? When it says you shouldn't go late to bed eating the bread of anxious toil, do you still go late to bed feeling like I just didn't get enough done? Do you observe the Sabbath? Is Sunday actually a day off for you or is that just a thing from the past that we've kind of bucked since then? Now I know some people have to work on Sundays. I get that, that's unavoidable. And if, uh, if you can avoid it though, do you? Or do you not? And if you have to work on Sundays, do you observe a Sabbath? Do you take a day to rest and trust the Lord? Do you tithe? Do you give to God what in truth is already his, or do you withhold it because you don't trust him or because you've spent your money frivolously? All of these things matter. Don't say, I walk in the light simply because you made a decision for Jesus at some point years ago. The question you should be asking is, am I daily making decisions for Jesus? Am I obeying him? Am I walking like him? Do I look more like him than I did five years ago? Is the spirit of Jesus actually at work in me? Some of you are prone to worry about this, to obsess about whether or not you are actually a Christian. And I want to encourage you. I don't want you uh, spending your time looking down at your belly button trying to figure out how much lint is in there, how much sin is actually inside you. When a a plant sprouts, you know it's alive, right? It doesn't have to be a full-grown tree bearing fruit in order to be called a tree. It just has to be alive. So are you alive? Do you love Jesus? Do Do you hate sin? If you're the type of person who sees a dust mite in your house and thinks, oh, no, my house is a wreck, you're not seeing clearly, if you see a dust mite, what should you do? You should say, thank you, Lord, for revealing this to me. You should sweep it up and then go deposit it in the trash can and be all done. If you notice some sin in your life, don't jump to the conclusion that you must not be a Christian. Instead, you should do the same thing as with the dust mite. Thank you, Lord, for revealing this to me. Help me to battle against it. Help me to turn away from this, reject it, sweep it up, take it over to the proverbial trash can, deposit it. Please forgive me, in Jesus' name, amen, and be done. Number four, the who of the text, not the band, sorry. The who. Um, John doesn't say you very much. He uses these first-person plural pronouns. He says we, us, our John is not elevating himself, he is including himself with his readers. He's including himself in the possibility of darkness. If we walk in darkness, unlike the Gnostics, John is not claiming to transcend the folly of sin. He is not elevating himself because he is an apostle. He is acknowledging that this applies to him too. We have to be honest with ourselves. these, These warnings are for us. Sadly, we have heard a lot lately about some terrible things in our culture. It's interesting that a siren goes by as we're talking about this. We've heard some really tragic things about mass shootings lately. Why are they happening? Lots of reasons, but most importantly, because people love the darkness. We don't know how to be people anymore. We don't know how to see the image of God in one another. And I say we because it is important that, again, we remember we are not above it. How do you react when you get cut off going down the road? How do you react when somebody lays on their horn the moment the light turns green? You forget that these are people in those other cars? Do you suddenly have some less-than-Christian thoughts? Maybe an inclination to give them a less-than-Christian gesture? If we don't acknowledge the temptation to dehumanize people And that is one more area we are susceptible of becoming the next news story. What keeps us from something so horrible is the grace of God. He has given us new hearts, new affections for truth. He has given us love for our brothers and sisters. But we must remember that the darkness is always beckoning. And the way to fight it is not to pretend it doesn't exist or that it couldn't exist in us. To say there is no darkness in my life, that's not a part of me. Well, that's exactly the lie that John is talking about. We have to be honest about the darkness. We have to devote ourselves to the light so that the music of heaven rings louder than the temptation of demons. So that the brilliance of holiness and the power of true love creates in us a hatred for the dark and simultaneously creates a compassion and a pity for those who are stuck in it. That is the love of God, to send light into the darkness to rescue those who have been captured. Lastly, number five, the promise. What promise does this text make? What are we told will happen if we walk in the light, if we confess our sins? We are told that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin and all unrighteousness. The promise is, follow Jesus and you shall live. We are more sinful than we know. The the writer in Psalm 19 says, declare me innocent of hidden faults, because there are faults that he had that he didn't even know about. We're more sinful than we know. And yet, this word tells us, if we confess, if we confess even the sins that we don't know about, if we ask, like the psalmist, declare me innocent of hidden faults, if we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of your sins, all of your unrighteousness, swept away, covered by the blood of Jesus. Jesus died to take your sins to the grave and to leave them there. He pulled you from from the grave, but your sins he left behind. I'm going to close with Ephesians 5. It says this, starting in verse 8. It says, walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. God's promise is true life, where the eternal sun shines on you, where you can walk as children of light, children of God. So awake, flee the darkness, come unto the light, and abide in the forever joy of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, you are the light, and your word is a light to us. We thank you for this word in 1 John. We thank you for his testimony, what was delivered to him and that he also proclaimed. The message is simple and profound. God is light. And we pray that you would be pleased to shine your light, the light of your love and grace, the light of Jesus Christ on us to illuminate the darkness that still remains within us and to lead us out into the brightness of eternal joy. We dare to ask for this as your children, because we ask for this in the name of Jesus, our light. Amen.